Okay, so I invite all of us, as you notice people gathering, to, uh, to see that even on Zoom, you can bring your attention to your body and your feelings and your thinking. You can, without any kind of striving, invite yourself back to the experience of being more fully present right now. And kind of delight in knowing that we get to sit with people in all different states. different countries sometimes, and then we get to be together, and we get to be together in the sense of being a community, and also in the sense of bringing the attention to the body, to the feelings, to the thinking, all once without trying to do anything, just invite yourself to experiment with being more present, a little more present. So we come together again to notice that no matter what comes up, no matter what feeling or edge or attitude, that this can be met with loving attention. And yet I, I can't stress enough how transforming our complete acceptance can be. So that you can find an attitude sometimes boiling up from 40 years before or longer from when you were a little girl or a little boy and embattled, crouching, and you can meet that little girl, that little boy, that attitude with complete and loving attention and watch it soften. I once had a teacher said, our posture is the way. And it was quite touching because she meant our attitudes, our, our inner posture towards things. That if we can bring attention, loving and accepting attention to those attitudes as they come, we can open and become free. But I thought it might be uh, refreshing to 
to hear a story. Would you like to hear a little story? It's so much. Yes, good. Thanks for a few hands. It's so much more entertaining than a lecture. So this is a story from the earliest Buddhist tradition. In fact, it's not even in Pali Canon. They found it painted on a wall in a cave in India. And it's some very early, early, early stories. And this is a story of the Buddha's life before he became a Buddha. He was a bear, and he wasn't just any bear, and he wasn't even just a, a intimidating grizzly bear or a polar bear. He was completely unique. He was a bear with blue fur, blue fur and silver claws and blood red eyes. He was the scariest bear. And he lived in, in the mountains, as you would expect. And there was a king in India who coveted this bear because, I guess, similar to Chinese medicine, he thought the blood of this bear had extraordinary properties that it would bestow him with great long life. So he put out the call for someone in the kingdom to capture this bear and bring it to him alive. And, of course, very few hunters were willing to set out in the middle of winter, except for one. And this is my interpretation. This particular hunter was just so at the end of his rope. He didn't just need the king's reward. He needed recognition. He needed to be seen. He needed to do something with his life that would give him the feeling of attainment that he always craved and never got. He was desperate. Desperate for fame, for to feel real somehow. So off he went into the blizzard. And of course he was lost. He couldn't see which way was north or south. He was freezing. And he cried out, help me, help me. Just cried out to the universe without hope of rescue. And that blue bear, who was deeply asleep, hibernating in his cave, the deepest state of relaxation, heard the call of the hunter. And without any thinking, he just woke up, went to the door of his den, and batted away the snow that was heaped up and trotted out into 
close thought connected to it. It was like the embodiment of heart, body and heart. And he found this half-frozen hunter and brought him back to his den and warmed him with his fur until the hunter woke up and was terrified, terrified, looking into these red eyes, these silver claws. And the bear said, don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you. I saved you, and you can stay here, and you can eat my roots and berries and all the food he foraged, and you can stay warm until you're strong enough to find your way back to the king. And so the hunter did. He took advantage of this wonderful, warm, strong being. And he recovered. And then he went back out into the snow and down to the king. And before he left, the bear said, I just ask one thing. Don't tell the king where I live. That's all I ask. Just let me be. And, and the hunter, of course, promised. But the minute he got to the palace, of course, he told the king the tale. He wasn't specific about the location of the bear's den, but he, he, he had to tell him he'd seen him. The king was very excited and said, you can stay here as long as you want to fully recover again from the trip back. And this hunter started to fester inside and boy, oh, I have to tell him because then I'll get the reward, the reward I so richly deserve. I want that gold. I want that fame. I want that recognition. And so finally, he was like, it's just a bear. It's just a bear. I can tell the king. And he did. And the king was so excited. He sent a hunting party out to capture the bear. And without the hunter's instructions, they never could have found the den. But they did. And they captured him. It took like a platoon of soldiers, but they bound his hands and feet and brought him back to the king. But this king was very wise and he listened. And the bear told him that he had been betrayed, that he had saved this hunter and asked for just one thing, just let me be. Let me be in peace. And he was, the king was horrified at this betrayal and offered to put the hunter to death. And the bear said, no, 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 no. I feel sad for him. I feel so sad that 
the temptations of the mind, this grasping and desire caused him to betray me. So let him live and maybe he'll come to see the mistake he made. So the king granted his wish and called for the hunter to be brought forth where he confronted the bear. And, and instead of the response that he expected, gold, fame, the king was so impressed by the dignity and compassion of the bear that he had him set free. The hunter was not just astonished, he was ashamed that we couldn't say how. And off went the bear where he found a new den far away and lived undisturbed. And off went the hunter so ashamed and confused. He'd been so exposed that he too went off to live in the forest. And one day, many years later, after living on berries and and very much like a bear, the hunter happened to see his reflection in a pond and said, I look like a bear. And at that moment, he recognized something. And there are different ways of interpreting it, but this is my way tonight this evening, that all of us, each of us, have within us a mind like the hunter, a mind that's prone to desire and fear and grasping and wanting things to turn out for us. And we also have within us a body and a heart like the blue bear. There's another intelligence in us that's not just thinking. And it appears most often when we leave it alone, when we sit and accept this gentle work of acceptance. Slowly, 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 the heart appears, the body mind, the true heart. That's not, doesn't make a big deal out of everything. It just does, it responds, it hears a call, answers a call. And the body appears, which isn't just a form that we inevitably find fault with, but also a field of energy that's part of our responsiveness, our awareness. Moment by moment, we come to see, as Ram Das once said, we're like sitting under the shade of a tree. That's the thinking. 
constantly wondering why we're not getting any sunshine. And as this begins to occur to us, without trying to judge it and control it, we awaken to a deeper nature. Our, our blue bear nature. So let's sit, let's sit together. And we just, we take a comfortable seat and just let yourself notice how it feels to bring welcome to yourself, a comfortable, upright posture. And even more importantly, an intention to welcome everything that comes up with kindness and curiosity. Just let everything happen. Sensation, heat, cool, thinking, feeling, memories, impressions, any kind. And notice how it feels to let them be present just like this. And notice that when you bring attention to your experience, it begins to soften you just a bit. It may go to tense places and soften. Just let yourself sink into sensation. The sensation of being present. And notice that presence doesn't stop with your skin. It extends beyond. And 
And when you get lost in thinking, just notice with no comment. And gently come home to sensation and to presence. notice that when you come back to presence, you don't feel alone, isolated, but as if you're opening to life and to the presence of others. is that there is a home to return to, sensation, and that sensation opens to presence, to an attention that includes all of us body, heart, and mind.
notice that you are more than your thinking. rest in stillness, noticing how it feels to return to presence. Let yourself soften under the gaze of an attention that's kind, completely accepting.
when you get lost in thinking, come back to the body, back to a presence that's really alive, attentive, accepting, responsive. As you soften, there's an attention that awakens.
thank you so much for your practice and your presence. And if you have uh, reflections or questions about practice, we'd love to hear from you. You don't have to raise your hand, just please feel free to share your voice. I saw a quote um, attributed to Charlie Chaplin that is interesting. Um, he said, notice when people seek power, it's usually for something harmful. This was his view or out of some sense of being a manhole because at other times, Chaplin said, love does the job. I'm paraphrasing, but it's quite beautiful thought. When you think of those instances, you're with an animal or a baby, and sometimes giving, helping, so effortless, just like the blue bear in the story. You just help. And other times you can be in mindset where you feel like this embattled little fortress and you have to acquire power to do what you need to do. And it's interesting to reflect that maybe not, maybe you don't. Maybe we could seek to awaken to that more collected state where we're carried by love, by awareness, by our own body, mind, our own heart. Tracy, I have a, a question where I'm in need of your wisdom and guidance. I'm, <laughs> I'm at an age where my children are grown and my sleep is no longer interrupted by teenagers, toddlers, or babies. But now physiology is waking me and it always wakes me at three and I wake, I wake for work at five. And so I tried uh, tart cherry juice, which is good for sleep and white rice and Brazil nuts and meditation and still at three o'clock, which for me feels like a very ominous hour where everything is kind of ominous, even like unicorns. I'm wide awake 
and I try mantra, autogenic training, all of these things. And eventually we fall asleep for a brief little extra hour. But I feel like I'm, there's this uninvited guest that I'm terrified of knocking at the door at three. And I know that my mindset needs some help. So I know you can help me with this. Okay. I'm not sure I can put you to sleep, but I've been told I'm pretty good at it. But seriously, three is, um, it's too late and too early. Like if it was four, you could conceivably get up. Um, but that aside, I invite you to see that insomnia or sleeplessness and for all of us is incredibly useful. I'm not saying it's comfortable, but notice, I really enjoy noticing this. When we wake up and it's three and it's like, oh no, I need to be asleep because I have a busy day and I'll be too tired, all these projections, all these thoughts. Um, you watch the mind and going, 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 that's the first thing. And then you're you're resisting the state, you're tossing and turning and trying to get comfortable and trying to eat Brazil nuts or whatever to knock yourself out. And so that you're resisting and fixing in the mind. And, and sometimes out of sheer exhaustion or just being tired of trying, you'll glimpse what you're doing, which is what we're always doing, which is pushing away what's unpleasant, grasping at what's pleasant, and being completely blind in a sense to the way this mechanism dominates us. And so in that moment, in that moment, and I really, I've done this so often when I can't sleep, I treat it like a big sitting. I'm watching what happens. And it doesn't need to dawn on you at first, but at some point, look at how you're resisting reality. And what would happen if you completely accept it and just lie there comfortably and say meta? So I, I don't know that that solves, that would instantly put you to sleep, but it makes it something really, really useful. Yeah, Ben. Ben. It sounds great, but when when I can't sleep, if I lie there awake, I auger in. I mean, I if I was a little bit upset, I get more upset. If something was going wrong in the day or my life or the world, it it, it magnifies. It gets more acute, and and and, and I. I wish I could, but I don't come out of it. I just come out of it tired, tired and discouraged. And I think, you know, I'll meditate or take Valium. I'll do anything to, because it doesn't seem to me like there's anything in that nut 
Worthy, worthy. Right. The, not your past nuts, past Brazilian. No, it's look. I'm so glad you brought this. And with this has come up in here before. And and first of all, here's something um, inviting to consider when you're lying there in that state, and it's 3 a.m. The desolate hour. And you're alone with your fears and your worries. Consider that you have company. It's true. There's a good chance that there are others right in this community, including me, who are also awake at that hour or a similar hour who are also worrying, watching thoughts go round and round, who are also subject to the same kind of fears. And remember that this whole path is based on the company, the good company of knowing that every single one of us is frightened of sickness, old age, and death, and being alone. Every one of us. This is what the Buddha brought. Every single one of us is subject to certain realities, including insomnia, including aging and loss. Every one of us. And it's really quite astonishing sometimes when you're awake at 3 a.m. or 2 or whatever it is to know I am not alone. I bet Tracy's awake right now. Or Elizabeth or Mary Ellen, somebody. And that we're all in this together. That's what the Buddha brought. And that liberation comes not by having no suffering, but by completely accepting it. So that your private pain, your bitterness, your unhappiness, your loneliness, all of a sudden you'll have a moment when you realize that this doesn't separate you from other people. It lets you feel with them, for them. This is what loneliness feels like. This is what it feels like to be unseen or embattled or terrified about what finances or health or whatever it is. This is how it feels. And you take that suffering and you shine at it on the world. And all of a sudden, you have a huge amount of company. And that feeling of company begins to support you and lift you up. It's true. The very same thing that can isolate you and hurt you, it, one day in a moment, will 
become the very thing that makes you a source of compassion. <coughs> it's true. And so I'm not saying that you don't feel tired the next day. But I am saying that these experiences are also ways to practice. But, and uh, trust me, I wake up a lot at night. So anyone here, if you're awake, your friend Tracy is with you. I think I can testify, Tracy. As you know, I, um, I teach a meditation class on Tuesday mornings at 8.30, and I was whining to the class last week that I'd woken up at four and couldn't get back to sleep. And at the end of the class, one by one, pretty much everybody in the class was like, yeah, I was awake too. See, see. <laughs> we all just needed to jump on Zoom. Maybe we should have a meditation class at four in the morning. I've been, <laughs> I, I actually went to a retreat where we had meditation at 3 a.m. And it was in the woods. And I grumbled about it. But it was quite magical. And it was really kind of cozy because people were like we had to file to this like barracks in the middle of the woods. And it was illuminated with candles. And there were people in bathrobes and, and all kinds of strange sleep attire. And we just filed it in silence and meditated and then filed back out up the forest path to our little beds. And it did, it, it made a ritual of it. So we'll consider having a, um, I gotta give it some thought, a 3 a.m. sitting on Zoom. Um, I, I think, um, hi, it's Lynn. Hi. Uh, uh, I think one of one of the things about meditating when I'm also an insomniac, so I'm up to, but I I feel that when you're meditating in the middle of the night, sometimes you're meditating with the goal of falling asleep, and that sort of is not helpful. If if you meditate just to meditate, you know yeah. that that's, that's the event. That's what's taking place. Right, right. It's true, and. Practically speaking, you pretty much have to see that you're goal-oriented. And and not in, insomnia, definitely, it's very clear. But also in other areas, you can see, oh, I've been meditating to fix my life, and it's not working. And that's sometimes when something opens. This moment, remember, it's just so wise to think of this being a practice of moments. That just for a moment, another kind of attention appears, another kind of insight that lets you see how we're driven by the thinking. And in that moment, just for a moment, something relaxes. So again, not fun, but useful.
I have a sort of a totally dumb cheat for waking up because I wake up like maybe at 2.30 and then again at 4.30. And I mean, I'm very thankful that I'm old enough and in a position where I don't have to go to work in the morning. <laughs> but um, I, I'm kind of, I've been a radio addict for a long time. And um, I have a, an, got the app for for bbc sounds i think it is because like you can whatever you want to listen to on the bbc you don't have to deal with the commercials like you do on public radio here which i find irritating i mean useful but anyway so what happens to me is i'll put on something and i think i should be listening to it and lo and behold <laughs> i go right to sleep and what's weird is that i'll be dreaming and i'll think i have been awake and then I'll look and it's two hours later and I go, oh. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this is something maybe to, to try, to think that you, you're trying to listen to something, but then <laughs> yeah. you go to sleep. So, so that's my little weird dumb cheat that I would offer as a possibility to try to Yeah, it's not cheating. Or you could listen to a podcast, even over sitting. Yeah, I've had someone once came to Terrytown um, who said, oh, I always listen to you. And I go right out. <laughs> I took it as a compliment um, that I was so reassuring. But um, so this is a condition. This is beautiful because already you can see that we all have this condition too of sleeplessness sometimes or a lot of the time. Isn't that comforting? And the worry that comes with it and the isolation and whatever comes up, fear. Uh, hi everyone, Shauna, it's nice to be here. Um, you know, I, f I feel like this, you know, sleeplessness brings up fear, right? For me, like panic, like, oh my God, I'm not gonna get back to sleep. I'm not gonna be able to wake up for work, like that whole cycle. And I'm relating it to an experience I just had, which was I had surgery for the first time. And the surgery, it was an outpatient surgery, but the surgery got delayed. And long story short, I was waiting for surgery for six hours. And boy, did I get a good look at my fear. And I thought I was so smart. I had like all my guided meditations ready. You know, I brought like all these tools, you know, like, cause I knew I was going to be anxious. So as soon as they did the COVID test, I put a guided meditation on and it made me more anxious because I couldn't control my fear. Right. Yeah. I couldn't control my fear. And I, I tried to meditate throughout the five, six hours and I couldn't, 
you know, I couldn't. And every time a nurse or a doctor would come around, I would just say, I'm scared. I'm, I'm really nervous. And they would say, of course you are. This is a scary, it's scary to get surgery. And it's sort of Tracy, like, you know, what you were saying, like, we're not alone, you know, so to say, when you can't sleep, like, oh, let me think of all these other people who are up right now. I, I started to kind of lean into all the other people around me in the waiting area. And I was like, oh, they're nervous too, you know? And it was like a spiritual awakening of sorts, you know, like it was such a surrender of like, I can't control my fear. Right. And there's nothing I can do. Like the person who was saying, like, what could I do to fix the sleeplessness? And it's like, what I'm hearing is like, sometimes in a meditation, I, I can't control my mind and I just have to surrender to it, you know? Yeah. And ultimately yeah. that's what I did. And the funniest thing is finally, when it was time for surgery, I was super calm. And my surgeon comes over and she's like, I've never seen anyone so Zen before surgery. And I was like, That's <laughs> if you had seen me like four hours ago, but yeah. over time, you know, all the tools did work. It just wasn't on my timing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, and I love being able to say this as Ram Das once told me, it's when everything fails when every you see yourself oh here i go fixing i'm goal oriented with my practice nothing's working you're still freaking out inside at that moment when you see it's not working this effort to control there's a seeing your practice becomes seeing how you are and you open to see how you are to see how you're frightened or conflicted or goal oriented or all the ways that we are just seeing just seeing and then open gently to notice just like all the people around me just like all the people around me and all the people I know, I'm just like them, just like us. And we start to relax in a complete acceptance of our human nature. And as we relax into this acceptance, sometimes out of sheer exhaustion, often letting go feels like giving up out of exhaustion. And when we do, something new appears, a new kind of collected attention that can be with what comes. As you describe, And it doesn't have to happen overnight, and it doesn't have to last for more than a moment to give you 
a taste of who you really are. So let's sit together and dedicate our practice. We don't, we don't do this practice just for ourselves, but for the benefit, the welfare, and the liberation of all beings everywhere, without exception, including ourselves, who are just as worthy as anyone to be free. May all of us in every world be free from harm and danger. May we be supported and know that we're not alone, but accompanied by wisdom and compassion. May all beings everywhere be at ease and entirely free inside and out. Thank you, thank you. And just, um, I, we will not meet on Wednesday this coming. Wednesday, just for one week, because I'll be traveling for a couple of days with my daughter. I will be back, and I look forward to seeing you on Sunday. So have a wonderful week. Take good care of yourselves, and I will see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, Tracy. Thank you. Bye, Tracy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Safe travels. Thank you.